Okay, we're working our way through the book of Romans, and we come tonight, we hope to do chapter 6 and 7. Wow, that'll be busy, we'll be busy. Um, As you know, Romans is not an easy book, and when you read it, sometimes you read through and you say, what was that, what did that mean? I do recommend what I always use is a Phillips translation. If you have a Phillips translation Bible, if you could get one, uh, you can probably get them at Christian Book Distributor online. I think it's one of the best uh, translations, not really a translation, but a paraphrase, and it's meant to make it makes sense. So I read that right along with the Bible that I use here. It does help uh, because you get in some real situations. And <laughs> I just wanted to read this to you. This is from a commentary. And the commentary is supposed to explain to you what the Bible says. See what you think of this. Uh, The epithet moral must bear a logical relation to the idea of the passage. The object of this term has been understood very variously. Calvin regards it expressive of contempt. If Paul meant to say that man's whole bodily nature hastens to death and ought not consequently to be pampered. Philippi thinks that the epithet refers rather to the fact of sin having killed the body and thus having manifested its malignant character. Flat thinks that Paul alludes to the transient character of bodily pleasures. Christosum and Groidus find in the world the idea of the brevity of the toils and weigh on the Christian here below. According to Tulak, Paul means to indicate how evil lusts are inseparable from the present state of the body, which is destined by and by to be glorified. According to Lange and Chef, the sanctification of the moral body here below is mentioned as serving to prepare for glorification above. Got that? Holy mackerel. I read that paragraph and I said, hey, if you ever paid any attention to that, you wouldn't know what was going on. It's no wonder we find it hard because some people make it harder than it is. And so... Uh, it is difficult, but it's not that difficult. <laughs> and so as people try to cover every base, everything imaginable, they get lost and they can't describe things that aren't that hard for us to grasp. Now what we have is a parenthesis. We've been talking about the gospel. And we talked about God being angry and us being all sinners. We've all sinned. Therefore, God was angry, wanted to judge us for what our sin did. And then along came chapters 3 and 4 where he started to say, well, God is trying to help us to repent. And then in chapter 5, he took it a long way and he said, God loves us. And uh, God uh, wants grace to abound. Abound. He says lots of grace in God. We change our attitude about God as we read through this. Now we come to chapter 6 and 7. It's a parenthesis in the text. As he tries to step aside and deal with uh, 
what I think are some of life's real issues. All right. I think we get right down to the nitty gritty here and we tell the truth um, about, okay, we're sinners. We were born sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And now Christ has come and forgiven us. And so now we're not sinners, right? (laughs) Maybe not. Are we or aren't we? What do we do with it? Uh, Anybody found themselves perfect ever since they've asked Christ into their heart? Not me. Not me. I can't raise my hand for that one. And so the question comes up is how do we deal with the ideas of our own sin, of our nature that's inside of us? How do we deal with it? How are we supposed to think about it? And this gets very real down to the point of what... It's all about, as we try to say we want to live the Christian life, well, how do you do it? How do you do it? How do you deal with the issue of your own sin? And uh, what do you do when something goes wrong? How are we supposed to think about it? And there are people who have some very unusual ideas. We'll cover some of those. But I want to see what Paul says. And so let's start with chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now up in the verse 20, he's told us this. Where sin abounded, there was a lot of sin. Grace did much more abound. And we say, wow, that was wonderful. That God had much more forgiveness than we had sin. And so the idea comes into somebody's mind. Well, maybe if we sin a lot, we'll get a lot more grace. So let's keep it rolling, huh? Why don't we just get all the grace we could get and just sin all you want? And as long as God wants to do that, let's do that. Should we continue in sin so that this grace will just keep flowing out? He says, verse 2, God forbid. No, no, we're not going to do that. We have misunderstood what is supposed to be. And so we can't say, shall we sin to our heart's content to exploit the grace of God? Go ahead and sin all you want. There's plenty uh, of grace for forgiveness to spare. So go ahead, do what you want. Uh, No, that's not what it is. And so he's going to give us a way to think about sin. In these first few verses, and you're going to give us another way to think about it, and another way to think about it. And then finally, he's going to get right down to the nitty-gritty. It's all nitty-gritty, I guess you might say. So verse 2, here's his first explanation of how we're going to think about sin. How, God forbid, verse 2, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many as you as were baptized unto Jesus Christ were baptized unto his death. So the first thing he says, uh, we are dead to sin. We're dead to sin. We're going to think about that. And he's going to go to baptism to try to explain 
what he means by being dead to sin. And when I teach baptism classes every year in August, I always go over this passage because there is no place that explains baptism better than this right here. Verse 3, Know ye not that so many of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also should, we should also walk in newness of life. For we have been planted together in the likeness of death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So as we try to explain baptism to young people, old people, whoever it is, we say there, there's the water and uh, we're going to put you under the water. There you are, under the water. Okay? And then why are we going to do that? What does this symbolize? Well, Jesus was buried under the ground in the tomb. All right? So Jesus was buried under the ground. And then he rose again. He came out of the grave in a new life. So when we put you under the water, what we're saying is that you're going down under the water, just like Jesus was buried, you go under the water. When you come up out of the water, all right, then you come like he came out with new life. And so baptism is a symbol that there was a, I used to serve, and I didn't serve God, I served sin, he said, but we buried that under the water like Christ is buried. And now you come up and you're supposed to live a new life. And the baptism is a symbol that you're making a public statement that I'm leaving my old life under the water. I'm coming up new life. Christ was buried under the ground, comes out new life. All right, and so he says, that's what we're going to do with baptism. That's what a symbol. We've been planted together in the likeness of a death. We push people under the water. Not that the baptism does that, but it's a symbol of what happened in reality inside of our heart. So in our heart, we said we're going to leave the old life behind. We're going to live a new life for Jesus so we're going to we'll be baptized to tell people publicly that my old life, getting rid of it, you know, bury it under the water, come up out of the water, and live a new life for Christ. So verse 5, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, henceforth we should not serve sin. <coughs> so Christ was on a cross crucified on a cross and he said our sin was nailed to the cross. Our sin was crucified nailed there so that it would die on the cross. You go on that cross you're going to die. In your sin you want it to die. Alright so let's go on. <coughs> Verse number uh, seven. For he that is dead is freed from sin. 
Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, know that, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. So, as Christ came out of the grave, he never dies again. Death has no more dominion over him. He's got rid of the problem of death. When he rose from the grave, he'll never die again. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. That he liveth, he liveth unto God. So you and I are going to say, I want that sin inside of me to be dead. Verse 11, likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does it mean to reckon? All you remember somebody on the, you know, Andy Griffith show saying, I reckon it'll be this. Well, to reckon is a term here that he uses, which means um, uh, to say I am, to regard as being, or to say I am, I am dead, what you're going to say. So you're going to just make a statement. I'm dead. Everybody say, I'm dead. I'm dead. All right. <coughs> you got it? No, it's hard to think about. Here's the best way I can think of to say you're dead to sin. Um, I shot my daily squirrel today, like I do. <laughs> Every day I get a chance two if I can find them. And today when I shot my squirrel, he fell out of the tree there. I did what I always do. I went over and I kick it. Yeah, he's dead. He didn't do nothing. He just kind of rolled over when I kicked him. He is dead. Unresponsive. So when I kick this girl, I know he's dead because he doesn't respond. Now, sin says this. Come here, you. Come here, you. I want you to try this. And you're going to like this. And so come here. Come here. And for us who are dead to sin... No response. Come here. I said, get over here. Sin gets a little more stern. I said, come here. You take what I'm going to give you and do what I say. I'm dead. I can't hear you. I am unresponsive to the call of sin. He said, now you're going to reckon yourself as you're going to say to yourself inside, I am dead. I can't hear you. I'm not listening to you. I can't respond to you. I'm dead. So sin calls out and says, come on, do what I say. I'm inviting you. I'm encouraging you. Come along with me. Can't. Can't respond. Like the squirrel on the ground, he's dead. Can't do anything. No response. And so... uh, no matter how intense sin comes and knocks at your door and says, I want you to do this, I can't respond. I'm dead. I heard a story about some girls and they were invited 
to go to the prom with some naughty boys. And they all got together. What are we going to do? We'll have to write them a letter. They wrote them a letter. We can't come. We're dead. <laughs> That's a good answer. Good answer. I'm unresponsive. I can't respond. So that's one of the ways that we're going to look at sin. Uh, like the dead squirrel, we can't respond. All right. I can't answer because it's dead. I'm dead. And sin says, come on, come on, come on. And it encourages us and it invites us and it entices us. Come on. Nope. Can't hear a word you're saying. I can't respond because I'm dead. So he says that's a good way to deal with the sin problem. Reckon yourself to be dead. Right. Now, that's, that'll work if you can do it. <laughs> that'll work if you can do it. Sin is a very a subtle thing and a very powerful thing. And so... Uh, he says, reckon yourselves, say, I'm unresponsive, I buried my sinful nature under the ground, it's gone. I left it behind, I don't have it anymore. I reckon myself dead. So that's certainly one way, if you can deal with sin that way, I'm not listening, I can't hear you, I can't respond to your call. All right, so reckon yourselves, say that you're dead to sin. All right, now let's go on to another way to deal with sin. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body as you should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, that your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay, so he says you're not supposed to let sin run your life. It can't run your life. It can't have dominion over you. And so he says, sin shall not have, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion under you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So somebody come along and said, well, under the law, when they had that law, remember the two systems that we talked about. There were two systems. Um, the old system and the new system. And the old system was the law. Called it the law. It had rules and regulations. And the new system was grace. God forgives. Grace where God forgives. So we say, well, we're not under that old system. We don't have rules and regulations anymore, so we can do whatever we want. There's a song, hymn book, in the song, in your hymn book, it says, Free from the law, oh, happy condition. And somebody rewrote it to say, And now I can sin without intermission. 
Right? We got the law saying, don't do this. Thou shalt not do this. And you say, well, we're not under the law. We're under grace. We do whatever we want. We're free. Do whatever we want to do. And so let's be free and ignore the old law and let's sin without intermission. <clears throat> shall, uh, verse 14, sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. So he says up there, shall we sin because grace abounds? No, that's not how it works. Shall we sin because there's no rules and regulations? No, that's not how it works. Now verse 16, we get down to the heart of how you and I think inside here. Here we go. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants are you to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. And being then made free from sin, you became servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. So I'm going to use an example, he says, that will get in your head real good. Who likes to be told what to do? <laughs> That's the thing, isn't it? Nowadays, don't tell me I got to be vaccinated. I don't want to be told what to do. And it's true for all of us, all of them. Who wants to be told what to do? It's not in our nature to be told what to do. Right? So here's what he says. Either sin will tell you what to do. Right? You either got sin will tell you what to do or God will tell you what to do. One or the other. You say, no, 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 no. I'm going to tell myself what to do. <laughs> I'm going to be my own boss. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're going to be one or the other. Uh, it is the nature of men. They have been made to obey somebody. Now, there was a guy named Bob Dylan. Everybody remember Bob Dylan? Bob Dylan, he had an experience with God. And he wrote a song, you got to serve somebody. And, well, anyway, yeah, a couple of you. Uh, he said, maybe the devil, maybe the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. You know, serve one or the other, which is true. So humans aren't free to say, eh, I'm not going to serve sin or God. I'm going to serve myself. No, as soon as you say that, you're serving sin. Because in you is a sinful nature. So he says, you can let sin tell you what to do. He said, and by the way, that used to be where we were. Before Jesus came into our lives and forgave us and helped us to know who he was and to ask for forgiveness. Before that happened, uh, we used to serve sin. He said, that's the way you used to be. Uh, verse 17, God be thanked, you were the servants of sin. You used to serve sin. It's 
to do whatever you felt like you thought you were doing it, but you were a servant of sin, that you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine, that's the gospel, came to you and you became aware of God, and being made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because men have to serve somebody. As you have yielded your member servant unto uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your member servants to righteousness under holiness. So, there's another way to deal with the problem of sin. First one, we say, I'm dead. Can't respond. I'm not listening. I'm dead to sin. I'm unresponsive to it knocking on my door, poking me in the shoulder, whispering in my ear. I'm not going to hear it. Second thing you can say is, I'm not going to serve that. So you have to actively serve God. You can either serve that or you take up the life where you say, I'm going to serve God. And that's how you're going to deal with it. I'm not going to let sin rule over me. Verse 20, when you were the servants of sin, you were free from righteousness. What fruit had you in those things whereof now you are ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Anybody done anything you were ashamed of? (laughs) Me, me, me. Yeah, we've done things we're ashamed of. Everybody's done things we're ashamed of. We look back and say, man, I can't believe I did that. Uh, When... When people know me too good, (laughs) we know him. (laughs) And they do, unfortunately. And so, we are ashamed of what we used to do. Wish that we hadn't done it. And that helps us to say, all right, we need to serve God. Make sure that we're not serving sin by turning our life over to serve God. All right. Verse 22, now being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. Or the wages of sin is death. It's interesting the way he puts it here. Uh, uh, Wages of sin is death. So if you're going to work and be a servant of sin, you'll get paid by sin. All right, you'll get paid by sin, but it won't come out good in the end. All right, you're going to die. That's the payment. If you serve God, he gives a gift, and that's eternal life. That's quite a difference. I'd rather have a gift from God than work for wages, right? And so that's how God offers it to us. So how do we view sin in our life? Reckon it. Say it. All right. This is true of me. I'm dead to it. Like baptism, we bury the old nature under the water, bury it out of our life, crucified with Christ. And the old nature, he said, is nailed to the cross. So our old ways, our old nature got nailed up to the cross. They said, ah, that's the end of it, right? Here it is. It's hanging there on a cross. Here's the way I always think of it. So you got this sinful nature. It's nailed on a cross. Dying. That's what you want it to do. 
You want the life to go out of it. And it's dying there. So let that hand loose. It goes right there. Kill you and love to get this hand on your neck. All right? It's not dead yet. Dying. All right? But something in it. Still alive enough so it would choke you to death if it had. Uh, so sin has a very subtle power. It fools us. Who do you serve? Who do you serve? All right? Who do you want telling you what to do? You want sin to tell you what to do? Leads you to death. Or God to tell you what to do? Leads you to eternal life. And so in, among these things, you're dead to sin. Reckon it. Say I'm dead to sin, or who you're going to serve, make a choice. Make a choice. You've got to deal with it. You've got to make a choice what it is, all right? So, uh, yes, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. It shouldn't be inside of you. We're going to have to deal with the issue of sin. We've got a choice to make. We can approach it in these two ways. Now let's go a little bit farther into chapter 7 where we're really going to get down to the nitty gritty of what it's all about. And we've got to keep our thoughts going because 6 and 7 are part of this parentheses in Romans that says, well, before we go on, and give you all the high points of the gospel, we're going to tell you realistically that in your life you're going to have a struggle. You're going to have to deal with this issue. There's a couple ways to look at it. All right, now let's go on. Chapter 7, as we go a little farther. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, all right. How the law hath dominion over man as long as he lives. For the woman that hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. If the husband be dead, she's loose from the law of her husband. So you're talking about if people get married and they're supposed to stay married until one dies. When we do perform wedding ceremony, we say, I love and cherish what? Till death do us part. I'll go right to the end. That's when it'll be over. Till death do us part. Now he's not talking about being married here. He said, well, he just said it. Yeah, it's an example. He's trying to give us another example. Like baptism is an example, right? We go under the water and come up out of the water. We bury the sin and then come up with a new life. Right, now here's another example. Being married... So it's really not a text about marriage, although what he says about marriage is true, but he's trying to give us another idea how to think about sin. So he says, if a woman's married to a man, uh, she's with him until he's dead. And then she's loosed from that law of her husband. Verse 3 so if then while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, 
She's free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So if you're married and your husband dies, you're free to marry another man. Just an example of what's going to go on. Verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another. Even to him who is raised from the dead, we should bring forth fruit unto God. So, so you were tied together, married, as it were, to sin. You had it with you, and you were stuck with it as long as it would be alive. And then Jesus went on the cross and died, taking sin with him dying for sin and rose from the dead so if that's your sin and it died on the cross now you can be remarried who are you going to be married to? you're going to marry God that's why you're called the bride of Christ so he says it's kind of like the idea of being married you're married to someone if a person dies you can be remarried so now he says you had sin in your life, you were tied to it, and then Jesus died on the cross. I'm not tied to it anymore. I'm free from it. So I can go on to a new relationship, and that's where we become followers of Jesus Christ, become his bride, and that's a very powerful way of thinking of it and all through the Bible particularly in the book of Revelations we're called the bride of Christ aren't we? Why? Because we left behind what was there died and we go on and are joined to him. Verse 5 For when we were in the flesh the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. You used to have this thing inside of you, rebellion against God. But now we're delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Now we're left that behind as if your first husband died now we go on to a new life not the old one that we had here's another question verse 7 what shall we say then is the law sin god forbid all right so we got six one shall we continue in sin god forbid and down here uh uh, verse 15, what then shall we sin because we're not under the law? God forbid. And now what is this? Is the law sin or is the old law, the old thing, the old system, is that something that makes us sinful? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law said thou shalt not covet. Sin is so much a part of who we are, you're born with it. And you're born with it. And when you're born with something, there it is. You got it, right? <laughs> you got it. I was born Norwegian. I can't help it. That's the way I was born, okay? And we're all born with sin. So when you're born with just the way it is, you got it. You're born with it. You have it. And he says, how did you know what it was? Because the old law said, thou shalt not 
do this. Thou shalt not covet, he mentions here. He said, I didn't know what coveting was until I read the law. And now I know what it is. And so that old law was identifying what we did. But sin, verse 8, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. There's a word for you. For without the law, sin was dead. Concupiscence is an intense desire. And sometimes it can be, and a lot of times in the Bible, it is a sexual desire. It's not here, though. Here it's a very intense desire. He says, so sin took occasion by the rules. He said, here's the rule. Thou shalt not. And as soon as he said, thou shalt not, that's what we wanted to do. Right? Perfect example of the Garden of Eden. Right? You can eat any tree. You can eat the berries on the ground. You can, you can, eat, you can eat the melons growing over there. You can eat anything you want. There's only one tree. You can't eat them. And where do they go? Right to that tree. I want that one because you said I can't have it. And such is the nature inside of us. As soon as something says you can't do that, what do you want to do? I grew up and my mother said, you're not doing that. And man, I thought that must be fun. <laughs> I want to do that. I like to do that because mom said there must be some reason, you know. And it was very enticing, and that's what he's saying. Uh, sin came along and said, you ought to try this. It's going to be great. And I said, boy, I can really think of that. Yeah, I'd like to try it. So sin, he said, put a desire in me. The law and said, you can't do this. First thing I said, I want to do that. That's the nature of sin in us. Verse 9, for I was alive without the law once. I didn't know what was wrong. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. All right, so sin, I begin to understand what it was. God said, you can't do that. And then I realized I wanted to do it. And the commandment which was ordained to life was found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. In other words, the old way was trying to say, here's the way you live your life. Don't do this, don't do that. It was supposed to guide you. But we took it as an enticement to do what it said not to do. As we begin to look at uh, sin that way and say, yeah, that's what I want, I want that. I like that. So, uh, did the law make you sin? No, but it identified my sin. It was meant to direct my life, but it instead, it exposed me. That's what it did. Right? It exposed me inside. And so that uh, con. Cupiscence, strong desires that I feel uh, because of sin. Now, we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty. Let's look at verse 14. 
For we know that the law is spiritual. Right? The law had a purpose to guide us. But I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. I was doing sin, and the, and the law was saying, look what you're doing, and it exposed me. For that which I do, I allow not. And for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent to the law that it is good. Then it is no more I that doeth, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now, you get what he just said? This is really, we're getting right down to the main issue of you and I. He says, there's something I said, I want to do that, but I just couldn't do it. And I said, I don't want to do that, but I went and did it. It seems to be there's something in me that does just the opposite of what I want to do. I have this struggle in me. I'm fighting in me. I want to do right, but I don't. I don't want to do wrong, but I turned around and did it. And that is a very, very real assessment of you and I and Paul and everybody else. We are bound almost knowing what's right, choosing what's wrong. And then saying, well, that's wrong. And somehow I turned around and did it. And that's what he says. There's a struggle inside of me. There's an inner argument, inner struggle with me. Uh, that is, I'm trying uh, to struggle with an old nature. You've got an old nature. Old nature versus my new nature. And my new nature says this is what's right, and my old nature says this is what's right. And so I always say it's a cartoon with a little guy on each shoulder, remember? Who do you listen to? Who do you listen to? Well, that's a pretty close assessment. Let's go on, all right? First, uh, 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. It's naturally in that part of me, I just can't find good there. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. So here's this, the human struggle exactly explained. Now if I do that which I would not, there's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And I find a law. There's something that happens inside of me regularly that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I'm trying to do good, but I have a voice in me saying, hey, hey, listen, listen. Listen, verse 22. For I delight in the law of God, 
after the unward man. I learn about it in my Bible, and I hear about it in church, and I study it. I want to do those things. But I see, 23, another law of my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. So there's a struggle inside of me. My old nature struggles against my new nature. I try to do right. I can't. Verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Here he finally said, he threw his hands up. He said, I don't know what to do. I can't deal with it. I don't know how to win over this struggle that's inside of me. And that's very much human nature working out in our struggle too, is that we got this thing inside of us. I said, Eric, go, Eric come this way. No, but, but, I'm going, no, I want, no. No. Now, there's a guy on the radio named Andrew Farley. And if you like him, I apologize. Oh. He's not a bad teacher, I guess I don't mean that. Uh, but uh, some people play on only one string. They got a violin, they only use one string on the violin. And the purpose, uh, and he plays on the string of grace and freedom. And so he says, you're not two people. You're only one person. You're always going to do right. And I think, yeah, but I don't. I'm, I'm agreeing with Paul here. I see another law in my members. I see a struggle in myself. And Andrew Farley says, no, you're just dead to that. That part of you doesn't exist anymore. Well, I think he's saying here, who's going to deliver me from this? I got this inner struggle with sin, so I'm going to say I'm dead, I'm not responsive, and then all of a sudden I hear that voice trying not to respond. Or who am I going to serve, God or that? As we go through life, growing as Christians, we want to get to the place where sin does not have dominion. It's not in charge. All right? Now, does that mean we're never going to do anything wrong again? Not by a long shot. All right? But it's not in charge. We want to get to the place where it's not in charge. And God is more than happy to do that. Now, if you think uh, you're going to play on one string, it's okay. You're grace, under grace, and you're free, and sin has no dominion. You're all set. You're not all set. And even one of us knows inside we're not all set. We got that feeling in there. And Paul says, I have the same feeling. I got this battle warring against each other inside of me. And he says, wretched man, who's going to deliver me? Who's going to help me? What am I going to do? And so uh, when Andrew Farley says, which he does every once in a while, and I'm not saying he's all bad because some of the things he said are very intelligent. But when he plays on that one string... It's too bad. I remember uh, somebody called and asked, uh, should I surrender to Jesus? He said, surrender is like a war. It's not a war. It's all peace with God. You're all set. 
And I thought to myself, what's the song we sing? All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence daily live. I surrender all, I surrender all. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. He said you don't have to do that. Don't listen to him. Don't listen to him. Better pay attention to that song. There's a time we need to surrender. Surrender to God. We need to say, all right, the struggle I feel in me is intense. And so Paul is trying to tell us, and I think he's very honest here. He's saying, well, this is the Apostle Paul. If he can't get it right, how are we going to get it right? right? No, he's saying that in the human heart is this inward struggle, and we have to take as much information as we can and try to use it. All right, so I'm going to say I'm dead. Can't hear you. I'm unresponsive to sin. And sometimes that'll work. That'll help you. You're going to say, I'm not going to be a servant of sin. My other choice is to be a servant of God, and that's what I'm going to do. And I'm actively going to pursue that. And I personally think that one of the strongest ways that you overcome the sin issue in your life is actively pursue serving God. That'll help an awful lot. Find a way. Find a place. Find something you can do actively Pursue serving God, and that'll help an awful lot as uh, basically you feed one or the other. In this old nature here, new nature, the one that you feed gets stronger. So feed the new man. Study your Bible. Come to Tuesday nights and learn more. Come to services. Sing a song. Get all the strength you can. Feed that new mind, new man. And the stronger he gets, the less sin should be an issue for us. But there will always be a struggle inside of us. We were born with it. And we said, I thought it died on the cross. Well... I certainly look at it that way. I reckon it. I say, yes, I'm not going to be responsive. I'm going to be dead to sin. We could say those things and do our best. But sooner or later, we're going to come to like Paul says, 22, I delight in the law of God, but I see another law in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of sin? So, as we're talking about the gospel, God's response to man's sin, he's angry with it. But now he's going to work peace as Jesus Christ comes to be a propitiation. Remember those words? Propitiation. He comes to uh, stand in our place. To redeem us, to pay a price for us. He comes to do those things for us and he turns God around and he comes to God on our behalf. Our high priest comes to God on our behalf. All right, when he comes to God on our behalf and God is convinced, now we are at peace with God. And God loves us and grace abounds to us. So, 
that's where it's going. So now here's the issue of our own personal struggle with sin. In these two chapters, six and seven, we have that struggle described, ways to view it, ways to look at it that are helpful to us. He talks about the dying of the husband, freeing us to another relationship. Right, the dying of the sinful nature frees us to a new relationship with God. We become the bride of Christ. So, so there's ways we can look at sin, and those are good ways, important ways, ways to help us along the way. But we still come down to verse 24. A wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I still got this struggle inside of me. Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ. Wait, 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 wait. Did he just say somebody is going to deliver me? Yeah, that's what he said. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is help. <laughs> See, Paul's, he's a... He gets you all the time. We kept thinking, oh man, this is getting worse. I got this struggle and I'm stuck with it. And Paul couldn't even deal with it. Who's going to help me? Jesus is going to help you. He's going to do it. He's going to help you to overcome sin. Reckon yourself dead. Not serve sin. Get divorced from it. Let it go and start a new relationship. Jesus Christ, our Lord, is going to help us. So within the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. He said, I want to serve God in here. And I know that inside of me is a struggle. But Jesus can help me. Chapter 8. Oh, what's that going to be about? It'll be real important. All right? This is the high point of Romans. And we have next week, uh, we'll go into chapter 8. I don't know if we'll get it all done. But it's going to give us the most freeing thing that's available for us to deal with the struggle of our sin personally inside of us. So it's a very down-to-earth account of how sin annoys us, how it calls us, how it tugs at us, how it gets inside of us and pulls and yanks and we struggle with it, right? And he said, who's going to help me? Well, Jesus is going to help me. So chapter 8 will take us into that, how that happens. So that our best way will be in chapter 8. Chapter 7 is ways to think about it. Ways to view sin, to understand the struggle that's in us. Chapter 8 will put us on top of that. And then it'll fly. Like I said, it's one of the best chapters in the book. So next we go into chapter 8. The week after that is the costume carnival week. Uh, this is when the kids have their party on Tuesday night. And so we'll have, I think, one, two, maybe three more classes and we'll be done for the year. We'll be up at Thanksgiving and all special events after that. So uh, we won't get all of Romans done. We'll probably skip 
chapter 9, 10, and 11, and go to 12 and 13 and, and the last couple. Uh, 9, 10, and 11 is another parentheses in the book, and we'll probably skip that. And so right up to Thanksgiving, we'll be uh, talking still out of Romans. But chapter 8, here's the high point next week. Here's the answer to the issue that we talked about tonight. How do we deal with sin in our lives? Thank you.